You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Terry Riley, which is from our sermon series, The Beatitudes, Jesus' Talk on the Hill. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. If you would take your Bibles, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There's two practices that were so central to the early church that they ended up calling them sacraments. And we're going to observe one of those today, and it's communion. Uh, The idea of a sacrament is where you take something that's ordinary, but God uses it uh, to make it a vehicle of the extraordinary where it begins to speak into our life. In baptism, uh, we use ordinary water, but as that person goes in, steps into the tank, and they are submerged, immersed, covered over in the water, there's something very powerful and uh, something uh, very spiritual that happens through water baptism. Uh, You know, speaking of taking something ordinary and kind of turning it into the extraordinary, some of you remember when we used to uh, pass out water bottles. We would order hundreds of water bottles and we put Creekside Church on them and then we would go downtown and uh, especially during hot city events we would just walk around with these wagons of ice and bottled waters in them and we would pass them out and we would just say here enjoy this little gift from Creekside Church it was amazing how we all came back and people would say oh yeah people said oh wow holy water we get to have some holy water well it was just regular water but because our name was on it i guess that made it kind of sacramental uh, but it was funny in, in, in communion in the lord's table uh, we use the bread and the juice hopefully you received yours coming in today and not raise your hand and somebody will make sure that you have one but there's something sacred that takes place and happens through the receiving of these powerful and precious emblems. Uh, Both baptism and communion picture the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news and what he did. It points to him and his work on the cross and his resurrection. Here's the deal as we do this. Some of you might already be thinking, it's possible. Okay, been there, done that, it's communion. We don't do it on a set day or a set Sunday because it's really easy for people, just because of who we are, not because we're bad or wrong or whatever, to just kind of go into, well, maybe a little bit of autopilot and just say, here we go again, it's communion. But it's really one of these important moments of the sacraments to receive them that I I want to begin with a moment of confession and... uh, as we come to the Lord's table. How many of you have ever done something, at least one thing in your life that you really regret or really embarrassed you? How many? Raise your hands. I just, I want to, okay, good, good, yeah. Yeah, I I just want to make sure I'm not all alone here, but uh, when when I was a high school freshman, because I played sports, I had first lunch, which is where uh, the lunch times that all of the upperclassmen had. And so one day, it was a spring day in Oregon. You don't get much sun, but this was a blue sky, sunny day. And uh, I went from the lunch area to a place where we get these little um, kind of like dessert ice creams. They were in a little cup. And I went and I bought it. 
I was holding it and I was walking through uh, what they called the student center, which was just adjacent to the cafeteria. And uh, on, on one wall, one full wall was floor to ceiling glass with sliding doors in between so you could go out into the student courtyard. So all of these upperclassmen, juniors and seniors all around, and I'm a freshman, and, and you know how when you walk, you, you, you've done this, you, you eat like this while you're walking and kind of looking? Well, it's this beautiful sunny day, which we weren't used to in Oregon, and it was just beaming through the windows, and I was walking and eating, and all of a sudden there was this thud! Do you know what it was? You know where this is going? It was me. And I walked right in because I thought it was so bright and so clear. I thought that the sliding doors were open. I walked into them. And uh, this is, there's two things that I remember. The howling of the juniors and seniors over to my left, falling out of their chairs. And secondly, that I left this mark about this big because I walked so hard into the door and there was ice cream all over, vanilla ice cream all over the sliding door and all over my front. Uh, no, no doubt to say that I left the scene of the accident and my social faux pas very quickly. I was thinking about this uh, this week. I actually had told this story to, to Jake, which is what made me think about it. See, we got this human problem. It, it's, it's not just that we can oftentimes embarrass ourselves occasionally with these minor slips up, slip ups, social faux pas, stupid things that we do. The scriptures address that the main issue of our lives Romans 3.23 addresses it this way and states exactly what it is. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why Jesus had to come. That's why Jesus had to give his life. Because every one of us loved ones in this room, well, we've fallen short of God's glory and what he has for us. And here's the truth. This sin makes marks all over the place. And just like me walking into that window or that sliding door, there was a big mark. But this sin, it leaves its mark everywhere. And you know what? As hard as we try, we can't clean it up on our own. It leaves messy marks and it's put a gap between us and a holy God. But here's the antidote. Here's the prescription. Here's the promise. Uh, Romans 5.1 says that having been justified by faith, we now, we have peace with God that comes through the bridge that was built by Jesus Christ. That as we choose to follow him, well, we have the antidote. We have the vaccine. We have the prescription to overcome our sins. So what we're going to do today, we're going to take, we're going to receive this sacrament. We're going to observe the Lord's table, what many pe people call communion, that Jesus instituted because of, well, our human nature. And what I don't want us to do today is kind of take on a been there, done that. Kind of go on autopilot with us. But I want to, I want to kind of put it up front so that we're thinking about it as we move into worship. We're not just thinking about what we're doing, but we're thinking about the person that we're doing it with and for. I don't want this to be something that we just simply tack on at the end that isn't given focus. Uh, the word many of you are familiar with, especially if you grew up in a, a liturgical type church, is Eucharist. 
That's actually the biblical term. The, 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 the term Eucharist means simply to give thanks. It's found in the Last Supper passages of Matthew 25, uh, 26, verse 27, Mark 14, 23, and Luke 22, 17. Where it says, and Jesus broke the bread and he gave thanks. Really what he's saying is he broke bread and he gave thanks and he's giving out this Eucharist. These emblems. And it also says that in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. Now, there's a lot of, a number of different traditions in how to receive and how to understand communion. The word communion is a biblical term as well. It's the Greek word koinonia. We don't see it in the passages of where it talks about the Lord's Supper. But the idea is communion has to do with the word koinonia, which means partnership, fellowship. Being one together. And the idea is that when the church comes together, there's this koinonia that takes place on the horizontal level and the vertical level. And that's what communion is to do. It's to kind of heighten, to highlight that relationship with Jesus and one another. This expresses, this whole idea of the Eucharist expresses what happened and what Jesus did on the cross. And I want to read the passage from 1 Corinthians 11. The context is important because Paul is chastising this divided church. And they used to have these things called love feasts. Today we would call them a church potluck. But they had these things called church love feasts. And they would go and they would share food and they'd have just a great time, kind of like if we were to have a potluck. And then they would share in communion. But this church in Corinth was literally breaking God's heart with what he was doing. Paul comes to them and he says, you know something? Your church gathering is doing more harm than it is good. They were basically getting drunk. You had the rich on one side, the poor on the other. So you got the people over here barbecuing fillets. And these people over here might have had hot dogs. It was just this very divided thing. And it was us against them. And they were a divided church. And Paul says, basically, what are you doing? This isn't anything that God intended. So he, he chastises them for them doing that. But then he gets to the teaching on the, on the communion and he says this, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you on the night when he was betrayed. Uh, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, when he had given the Eucharist, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup and the supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant. We're now bridging the gap from the ways of the old covenant. We're going to talk a little bit about that next week in Matthew 5. But we're going to move from the old covenant. He says, now this is the new covenant in my blood. The new promise that I'm bringing because of what Jesus did on the cross. And then he says, do this as often as you drink it. And do it in remembrance of me. What's the key word that we see there? Do it. Okay. Another one. Remember, do it and remember. You can do it without remembering. And he says, I want that to be your focus. I want you to remember it. For as often as you eat 
this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I love this because it looks back on where we've been to where we are going. But then he gives some other instructions that didn't come from Jesus, but it came from the inspiration of the spirit of God at this time. And it really comes out of what was happening in the church of Corinth. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, those are scary words if we don't understand them. But there's this pregnant pause and Paul goes, let a person examine himself. The idea of examiners, just take a test. Look at himself. Let a person examine himself. Take a test in this way. Let him eat the bread. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment unto himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you. And many have fallen asleep. If you were proper, if we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, then we're going to be disciplined that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, therefore, because of what I've just said, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you gather together, they will not come under judgment. I will give instructions about other matters whenever they come. So what communion is supposed to do, loved ones, is it expresses what happened just before Jesus went on the cross. When he talked about this, when he shared this in his gospels, he was with his brain trust. He was with the brothers. He was with the 12 disciples. It's interesting because he's getting ready to do this. All of them are there. And if you remember, Judas is there, the betrayer, and he's going to get up in the middle of it, and he's going to leave to go do the final act of his betrayal. And then the other 11 are still there, and we understand that 10 of them basically run from Jesus after they get up and they go spend time in the garden. Then what happens? Well, there's only one of them, the Apostle John, who's at the cross with Jesus. So we're going to see here that this expresses what Jesus was doing just before the cross. It was at the day of the Passover meal. And Jesus prepared this for his disciples in this small upper room. And they had dinner together. Now in that day, eating together was a big deal. (laughs) Actually, it's kind of some of the things that really got Jesus into trouble. Uh, We've talked about this a few times. Uh, What did Jesus do? He He was castigated by everybody, by a lot of people, because it says in uh, Luke chapter 7 that he ate with sinners. <laughs> the religious leaders of that day, the scribes, the Pharisees would have never, ever done that. They were above that. Zacchaeus is up in a tree, Luke chapter 19. Jesus is walking by. The reason that, that Zacchaeus is up in a tree is he just wants to see Jesus. He's heard about him. This guy is an upper level guy. He's high socioeconomic and he says, I got to see Jesus. It means so much to me. I'll climb up in a tree. And he does. And Jesus walks by him. He walks underneath him. And imagine how this would feel. He's trying to kind of go stealth incognito. And all of a sudden Jesus comes up in the midst of this incredible crowd. Hey, Zach, come on down. I'm going to go have lunch with you today. So Jesus just invites himself to Zacchaeus' house to a meal and totally changes and revolutionizes his life. 
The disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee in John chapter 21, post-resurrection. Jesus sees them. They see him, and he calls them in. He says, come on in. I'm going to make some filet of fish for you. So they come in. And so Jesus is eating with his disciples. Matthew chapter 11, it says that Jesus' enemies called him a glutton and a drunkard. See, to be the host of a meal, to decide who would be invited, that was really a big deal because it was such an intimate thing. Matter of fact, in John, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, we see where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door, and the, I stand at the door of your heart, and I knock so that I can come in and we can dine together. It was that kind of intimacy because they would do, they, would, they had this table on the ground where they would literally recline and they would eat together. But this is a big deal when Jesus has this last supper because he had no home. Jesus was always a guest at meals. There's no other record of him having a meal and being the host of it in the scriptures except when he shared this last Passover meal with the brothers. First Corinthians, Paul refers to this as the Lord's table. Jesus had no other table but this one, the Lord's table, when he served the brothers and now he serves us. Luke twenty two fourteen says, I have eagerly, Jesus looks at his, his, his brain trust, his brothers, and he says, I have eagerly anticipated and looked forward to this meal with you. And so as he's hosting this meal with his gathered friends, took a piece of the bread and he's, he just basically said, I, I, I want to do this with you and I want you to eat this bread on a regular basis. And as you do, these are Jesus' words. I want you to remember my body that was broken for you. I want you to remember my nails, my hands that were nailed to the cross, my side that was pierced by a sword, and the blood that came when the crown of thorns were put on my head. And he took the cup of wine. And he said, I want you to think about this cup on a regular basis. I want you to remember. I want you to remember. Don't forget. I want you to remember that this blood was shed on your behalf so that you could be free. You could break free from the tyranny of sin and the onslaught and the attacks of the enemy of your soul. And you can live freely from the forces of sin. And then he said in Luke twenty two nineteen, do this in remembrance of me. Can you imagine for just a moment, if you had been one of those disciples, you had been walking with Jesus for three years. And Jesus says, hey, listen, guys, get close. I want you to remember this night. I want you to remember what we're doing because I want you to remember to do it. I'll bet it crossed some of their minds that they begin to think, Jesus, do you ever think I could forget you? I saw the miracles. I saw you feed the 5,000. I saw you heal the blind. I, see you, I saw you touch the lame. And they got up and they walked. But, but, but isn't that kind of our problem, friends? We forget. Our forgetter is oftentimes better than our rememberer. And we can walk with Jesus and remember Jesus and forget 
or what he really did. We forget the price that he paid on the cross for my forgiveness. And then when I become burdened with guilt, that's when I need to remember. I forget. I'm called to be a servant and to love others. But when things are happening all around me, oh, it's so easy to forget that. I forget that he paved the way to heaven so I don't have to face hell. And it's so easy to forget that. So easy to forget him in so many ways. You're struggling with something in your life. You're struggling with a sin. So what do we do? We call white knuckling it instead of stepping into the power of who Jesus Christ is and the strength that he gives where Second Peter 1 verse 2 says that he has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. In him are found all the treasures of wisdom, Colossians 2. There's something about remembering in the Bible that really is so important. Uh, Jake read earlier from Psalm 103, and what did he say? He said, forget none of his benefits. In the Old Testament, uh, people were called all the time to remember. God said, I want you to remember. I don't want you to forget these miracle works that I've done. He instructed them to take stones when he would do a miracle sometimes and build an altar and set it there so that when you walk by here again or you come back to this place, you remember God did something in your life there. He said, I want you to remember. He said, I want you to tie a string around your fingers. I want you to put a headband around your head that has scriptures in it. I want you to put it on the doorposts of your home so that you remember, remember, remember. But the Bible remembering is more than just a memory. There's this kind of activity, this active calling to mind in the Bible that when you remember, it is, it is a reciting of what you know from the past. And as you do it, it's almost as if you're dragging that past event into the present and what was in the past that you now have recited, you've remembered, almost rehearsed it, it now becomes this present tense happening once again. That's how important it is to remember this. You bring what was in the past and it becomes alive in your present. Some years ago, some close friends of mine and for some of you as well, celebrated their 50-year anniversary. They wanted to renew their vows, so they come to the preacher kid back then, and I got to be a part of that, and it was a privilege to do that. It was a wonderful celebration. Uh, it was in this home, excuse me, in this big room, and probably 100, 150 of family and friends, but you know what else they really wanted to do? Uh, they wanted to hear their music from their early years together. You know why? Because they wanted to be mindful. They wanted to remember. They wanted to drag those memories from 50 years earlier into the present and remember some of those thoughts, some of those feelings, some of those things that took place when they first came together. Have you noticed that music has a way of doing that? How many of us, you hear a song and immediately takes you back, transports you to another time? Or maybe it might be like the Bible where it kind of transports that time into your present. So we gathered in this large room 
did the vows renewal. I had a wonderful, we all had a wonderful meal. And all of a sudden they started playing some of these old songs. Reminded them of their love of 50 years, memories from a lifetime together. And as they remember, it brought their past into their present. And I remember they were sitting up front. I remember as this music is going that she looked at him. And I wonder if she didn't see the young man 50 years earlier that she married. And I looked at him. And there was this kind of this gleam in his eye. And I wonder if he didn't think back at a time 50 years earlier of his tall and dark-haired bride when he made this commitment, this covenant of love to her. I wonder if it didn't wash away some of the wrinkles, bring back some of the hair that was there 50 years earlier. And then it happened. They got up to one of their favorite songs and they started dancing. It was effortless. It was almost motionless for these 70-year-old people to begin to dance to the songs and the music that they'd come together on. And they get danced together and it's as if 50 years just kind of melted away. They were simply a bride and a groom again over a song. They remembered Jesus said to his followers, and he says it to you and me today, loved ones, I want you to remember. No, 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 no. I don't want you to remember the gory details of my death. I want you to remember me. I want you to remember that I died on a cross. There was pain. There was blood. But I really want you to remember the fact that I loved you enough to go and die and resurrect so that I could secure for you not only your present, but your eternity. And hear me, loved ones, the reason I do what we're doing today the way that we're doing is because I really believe if we do it right, this sacrament, these ordinary emblems that we've been given, these simple little reminders that Jesus said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I'm convinced this is a sacred time. These are holy moments. Jesus is the host of this table and it's the only table he ever had. And he offers it to you and to me in his poverty. And guess what he offers us? He says, here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna offer you my, my body and, and my blood that was given for you. See, the Eucharist that Jesus instituted asks us to keep on doing it on a regular basis until the day that we die or he returns. Baptism doesn't need to be repeated. Can be if one desires it, but Jesus never said, keep doing baptism. Every time there's a baptism, I want you to engage in it and be a part of it. No, only communion is to be done and redone and recited and done again and again as long as you live. Why? 
because this is what I don't like, but it's so true. It's because we sin. We are continually messing up. The main word that is used in the Old Testament and the New Testament for sin is the one that we read in Romans 3.23. They have a number of them, but Romans 3.23 says, uh, for the wages of sin. Uh, the, the Greek word, just to impress you a little bit, hamartia. Say that with me, hamartia. Okay, you're Greek scholars, Good. But it's, it's hamartia. And there's a number of other words, but this is the main word that's used throughout the Hebrew and the, and the Greek language. It's an archery term. Hamartia means simply this. You miss the mark or you miss your aim. And the, the word picture behind it is of a bullseye where there's an archer that's shooting and his arrow continually comes up short. The arrow never hits perfection the middle of the bullseye. And he says, ultimately... You know, we might want to say this is sin and this is sin, but that's really the big picture of sin. It's a big deal. And the reason that that's so important is because God says there's no way. There's no way you can always be perfect. There's no way you can always hit what you're aiming for. There's no way that you can hit the bullseye all the time. You will almost always come up short. And he says that that's why you need a savior. I come up short all the time. Sadly, I still miss. I need Jesus more than I ever have. I talk to others who get tempted to despair and to think, God, where are you? Have you given up on me yet? Some of us think, I think, that's it this time. No way, I've gone too far. There's no way for God's amazing grace to bring me back. But you know what Jesus says? He says, I want you to come on back to me. I want you to join me at the only table I've ever had. And as you embrace me, choose to follow me. Here is the good news of the gospel that Jesus gave his life for us, that Jesus gave his life so that we could experience forgiveness and love and acceptance by the great King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he says, I've dealt with your failure and I've dealt with you sin, with, with, with your sin, but I need you to come. And continually bring it to me and never forget that you still need my touch every day in every way. Oh, I love that. I'm one of those. Now, some of you have been thinking that I kind of highlighted a few minutes ago the scripture that says, well, whoever takes this in an unworthy manner. Oh, boy, there's some heavy words there. Let me explain that to you. Let me tell you a story. I've told it many times here. I haven't told it for a while. But uh, when I was in, I think I was in fourth grade, uh, my, my stepmother, we were sitting in the Oregon City Foursquare Church. I was sitting a couple of rows behind her. They were passing the communion emblems in church. And before it got to me, she turned around. She had jet black hair, a striking woman, dark complexion, scared me to death. And I lived with her. And, but she turned around and she pointed at me and she squinted her eyes and she shook her head. And I knew what she was saying. Don't take this communion. Now, can you imagine a fourth grader sitting in church with a couple of kids next to him and crackers and juice goes by? 
I took it. I got in the car. And the first question she asked me was, did you take communion? I thought about lying and I realized, no, nah, I did. I did. I've never been a good liar. So I told her I did. She turned around to me and she said, don't ever do that again. You will drink damnation to yourself or words to that effect. Now, honestly, I had a hard time ever for a long time receiving or taking communion when I finally came to Christ um, after I graduated from high school. Because I always thought, man, I'm gonna, I don't want to drink damnation. And, whew. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He says, whoever takes it in an unworthy manner. Can I just remind every one of you, none of us are worthy. Can you turn to the person next to you and say, you are not worthy. (laughs) Now, would you turn to the person next to you and say, I am not worthy. Not me, you. Hear me, loved ones, we're not worthy. There's nothing we can do that makes us worthy except for one thing, the worthiness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Romans 3.10 says, there are none who are righteous. No, there are not one. Not you, not me, not Billy Graham when he was alive. None of us are righteous. None of us are worthy in our own self, but it comes from the righteousness that Jesus imputes to us because of his work on the cross. The Corinthians were using this love feast and communion time for debauchery and drunkenness. They gave no worth to what it was about. See, it's not about your worthiness, but the worth that you put on Jesus and what he has accomplished and provided for every one of us. Romans 8.1 says, because of the atoning work on the cross of Jesus Christ, the word atonement simply means that because of what Jesus, he replaced, he stepped in our place to take on our sins. And the word atonement has this great little picture to it, at one We are at one with him because of what he did. And some of us, we come to a day like today and we go, I'm not worthy. You're right, underscore it, highlight it. But then remember this, that when you come to Jesus, when you step into a relationship to him, Romans 8, 1 says that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who choose to walk with him, step into his life and to follow him. There's no condemnation. So what does he say? Come and do this in remembrance of me. Remember, I paid the price. These loved ones are holy moments. And sometimes I simply remember when I come to this time, I was first saved. And I first understand how much God loved me. And I said this to you. I I, I don't know what I would do. I don't know where I'd be if I hadn't experienced that. What would my life be? What would your life be without God? Can you imagine? Times I come to the Lord's table and I remember that I regret something, something I said, something I did in the recent past. And then I remember, yes, yes, this table provides forgiveness. It's not that what I did or what I said is okay or excusable, but it's ultimately 
in Jesus, forgivable. Sometimes I come to this table. I just think about Jesus. What a great man who would give himself for me, for you on the cross. Oh God, I'm so grateful. Oh, that's right. That's the Eucharist. Here, Eucharist, take this in remembrance of me. Give thanks. If you've never decided to follow Jesus, those are who are online. If you've never crossed the line of faith, if you've never said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Today can be your day. If you're in this room and you've never done that, today can be your day. Because if you, t- if you receive this communion and you haven't made a, a step of faith toward Jesus as the leader, as the savior, as the guide of your life, you will receive this communion and it will have absolutely no efficacious power. It will simply be a religious thing that you'll dot the eye of coming to church today. But when you know Jesus, there is a power and a promise to it that we can embrace. And if you've never received Christ's loved ones, I just want to encourage you today, you can make that decision. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray. But here's how we're going to receive communion today. We're going to do our worship time now. We're going to close with worship. You have your uh, little cup there. Kind of, kind of see, kind of pretend, kind of think that you're just sitting at Jesus' table and bring to him what you can't do. Bring to him the struggles that you have. Bring to him the gratefulness of your heart for this time in this place. And say, God, I need your touch. I need your power. I need your life. I want to be at one in this moment. Atonement. I want to be at one in this moment with you. You can stand. You can sit. You can kneel. But when you're ready and you've had and you've sensed God's presence upon you, that's when I say, take the lid, receive the bread, receive the juice. You may separate them for a while. But this is what Jesus did for you and I. Would you pray with me? If you've never made a commitment to Jesus today, you can simply say, Jesus, I choose you to follow you today. Would you stand with me so as we get ready for worship? Father, we are here today to hear you, to see you. We want, Lord, to recite. We want to drag what you have done for us that it becomes so crystal clear in our present that all we can do is lift our hands, lift our voices, lift our heads, kneel our hearts, bend our knee, have wet eyes, have broken hearts, have lives filled with joy. We're all different. We're all in a different place today, Lord. But I pray that when we would live that here in the present now, make this time, make these moments real that we would remember who you are and what you've done. And if there's anybody here today that you just say yes to Jesus, I encourage you that as you receive your communion, just say, Jesus, today's the day I'm saying yes, February 28th, 2021. 
If you're online, I invite you during worship to go get some emblems of communion. If you don't have juice or some kind of a cracker, um, use milk and a cookie. I've done that before when I didn't have it. It's not the emblem that's sacred. It's the sacredness that comes out of the emblem in your heart. And if you're online and you've never received Jesus, just take a moment and click the little hand there that says me. Or maybe you want to renew your commitment. Come back home. Click there. So, Father, we do that today in Jesus' name. Let these moments, let them not pass by for anybody. We're all weak. Some are weaker, but we're all weak and we need your touch. Let this time infuse our spirits, Lord, with your spirit and your strength, your forgiveness, your greatness, your chain-breaking power. In Jesus' name, amen. So I invite you to stand and sing or sit or kneel and receive your communion when you felt like you've had koinonia fellowship with Jesus, the lover of your soul.